0: Today on Ag News Daily. We've been plagued by a very
1: cool, wet spring, and even the beginning of the summer here, too, has been below normal. But we're starting to see the pattern change. And-
0: Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily podcast, joined by our very own Madison Honkamp. Madison, how you doing today?
2: I'm doing great, Mike. You know I just want to talk about this humidity that we have going on outside. I had to walk out to my car to get another pair of headphones um to record this podcast. Um and I thought I was gonna just combust with that little, you know, ten foot trek to my car.
0: Yes, it is sticky. It is hot. <laughs> And, you know, it's interesting. We'll get into what this means in just a little bit. Madison, is fantastic you brought up weather because we'll be talking to our good friend <laughs> Ed Valley from Empire Weather Consulting a little bit later on in the show.
2: Yes, we will. And I even have one kind of article, even a kind of about weather, kind of about climate change. Um, but I saw on Twitter today that NASA has actually reported that the Earth is... A greener place today than it was 20 years ago and it china and india are actually kind of leading um, the world in greenness and trees uh, basically but they really don't know why Um, and i thought that was really interesting they think you know part of it is climate change it's hotter temp warmer temperatures um, more humidity increased carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, kind of helping those plants grow, giving them more nutrition. Um, But they really haven't pinpointed it yet. But another interesting thing was India planted over 50 million trees in just 24 hours. Wait, what? Um, uh Uh-huh. They had 800,000 people doing this, and they just kind of took a day. They broke a world record, and they planted 50 million trees in 24 hours. Now, how many of those trees, you know, are still alive, still thriving? I'm not entirely sure. I haven't really found that information yet. But, yeah, so we are fully becoming a planet with more trees. So that is some good news.
0: It is. And so this is something I, I, I'm i with you. I don't want to get dragged into the climate change debate. Mm-hmm. I, oh, yes, I am not a scientist. Not. But... I have heard from people, and I remember 8th grade physical science, that CO2 is good for plants. So if we do have more atmospheric Mm -hmm. carbon dioxide, it seems like we would have more plants and a greener earth. So I I don't know. I mean, that certainly seems like it's absolutely plausible.
2: Mm -hmm, Definitely. And I mean, from my understanding, if, you know, every country started planting lots more trees and, you know, Really stopping like deforestation, you know all of that. Um, it, the you'd think the CO two concentration in the atmosphere would go down because the plants are taking in more.
0: Um, right, they're breathing out and oxygen. Using that. I mean, and my exactly. limited scientific knowledge reminds me that's what happens. They suck in <laughs> CO two, they exactly. breathe out O two, and they put the carbon in the soil. That's how that works.
2: Yeah, that's about all I remember from my biology class this year. But
0: yeah, all right, folks, we'll get out there, plant a tree. You know, I was looking out, I was uh, kind of mowing the yard yesterday, and we planted, uh, we planted a number of trees, but two of them in the yard that I'm very proud of. I forget what they are, mm-hmm. but one of them is absolutely thriving. It's on the north side of the house, kind of the north west side of the house, so I think it gets a lot more sun. It's kinda down a hill. It doesn't get the wind. Mm-hmm. It is huge. It took my headphones off and I was mowing yesterday. I mean it's absolutely flourishing. <laughs> the other one is kind of on the highest point of of the property that I didn't think about when I planted. It's just in line with several others. And it is mm-hmm. it absolutely looks terrible. They were planted the same year. One of them is the one that's thriving is probably eight and a half feet tall and probably a good eight feet around, like in circumference or ten feet around. Mm-hmm. The other one is like still a twig with a bunch of little sad twiggy sticks coming off with a couple leaves. And, uh, yeah, it turns out I don't have much of a green thumb.
2: Maybe it just needs some fertilizer.
0: <laughs> That's kind of what I'm thinking. I'm just going to go out there and dump extra, some, some 1032O on it and just see what happens.
2: Yeah, there you go.
0: All right. Well, I've got some news, uh, Madison, not tree related, sadly, but it is EU related, which, of course, is part of the globe, which is the thing that is greening. So that's the connection to your story. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the you U.S. Go. and the EU, it was announced earlier today by a senior agriculture department official that there will not be a trade agreement with the EU unless agriculture Is included. This is coming from Ted McKinney, who is the Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs. Um, He said that uh, you know there's a lot of common ground between the two sides. Lawmakers are currently meeting in Brussels, Rome, and Geneva. They're you know kind of a a a roving delegation, and um, Europe has has tried to start these negotiations about removing import duties and all these other things. But the U.S. has said these talks will not begin in earnest until they come to an agreement about agriculture. And we had talked about this several weeks ago. The E.U. granted significantly Mm -hmm. more market access for U.S. beef. And that was sort of their, we're not going to talk about ag, but here's what we'll give you type of move. And now Mm -hmm. uh, the Trump administration is saying that is not good enough. We want ag to be on the table for these discussions. So. We'll see what happens. Now the ball's in the EU's court. We'll see if they end up relenting and allowing ag to be part of the discussion or if they're just going to be happy not having a trade agreement at all.
2: That's. I was thinking that like a couple months ago maybe they said that they were going to allow ag products.
0: They've kind of gone back and forth. You're exactly right. They they were thinking, I think, okay. the, about including ag products but, and uh, and then lately they've said when they said U.S. beef can have more access they said we're gonna do this but we're mm-hmm. not gonna talk about it in a trade dis- discussion, and now the administration said no no okay. you will or there will be no discussion.
2: Mhm, mhm. So they just, they haven't really said yes or no. They're just kind of saying well maybe.
0: <laughs> right, and now it's it's push comes to shove. It's agreed to it or mm-hmm. we done we out. Bye, Felicia.
2: <laughs> exactly. But I, I I think it's good that we're really pushing for that because it helps with you know, all the other trade stuff that's going on. Farmers have been struggling a little bit, and so maybe if we do get this trade agreement with the EU that does include agriculture, then it would really kind of give us a little bit, a bit of a push that we need. Exactly. It would be a win,
0: which would be nice.
2: Exactly.
0: We yeah, need a win. Definitely. And it needs a big well, win.
2: We really do. Um, and other news with trade have a report out from Reuters today about China and Trump, not really kind of commenting on a new round of tariffs. He did just say that he isn't really going to decide until after the G20 summit that is going on this weekend or later this, I guess kind of next week. Um, but they did say earlier today that the United States should immediately lift sanctions on – I'm not sure how to say it. It's how – it kind of looks like Hawaii, but it's not Hawaii.
0: The tech company um, But before in
2: China? Trump – yes, the Wa- tech company. Huawei. Uh, I'm not – Huawei?
0: Huawei, I think.
2: Okay, Maybe. Um, but before Trump and G are due to meet,
0: oh, interesting, so now they're putting conditions mm-hmm. on the meeting. Mhm, they really
2: are um, but the the United States did say that they would agree to lift restrictions, but China's saying no, you have to
0: interesting, and they're agree I mean their conversation mm-hmm. was supposed to take place this
2: weekend, is that right? Yes. Um, due to meet on Saturday at the G20 summit in Japan.
0: All right, Madison, I know you're still fairly new to the podcast, but you have been tuning in long <laughs> enough to know that Delaney and I love to gamble on events. So I'm proposing to you a wager. Will okay. President Trump and President G end up actually meeting on Saturday? What do you think? I don't think so. All right. You take the no. I'll take the yes, just because that's the other side okay. available, and okay. we shall wager a hot ham and cheese sandwich. How does that sound?
2: <laughs>
0: sounds good. If they get together, uh, you're buying me a sandwich. If they don't, I'm buying you a sandwich from Casey's.
2: Sounds good. Okay. Sounds good. Perfect. Casey, honestly, Casey's sandwiches are really good, so.
0: They are. I mean, that's why I'm saying it. we're going to buy the best I'm of the best. If we're going to wager, yeah. we're going to put some high stakes on the line.
1: <laughs>
2: Yes, definitely.
0: Um, I've got some news coming out of Berlin, Germany. Um, Bayer, of course, has been in the news after all of these rulings against glyphosate. And they announced earlier today that they have brought in an external attorney or or a whole firm, I should say, to advise the board on how to handle these lawsuits. Um, Basically, Bayer is saying they're willing to to go ahead and enter into a settlement with 13,400 potential plaintiffs in a class action lawsuit alleging that glyphosate led to cancer, more specifically non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. And uh, they just want to put this deal behind them. Now, their attorney, who is a fellow with the last name of Mann, said that uh, he doesn't want a settlement at all costs. Uh, they're going to explore their options. They're going to get together with other attorneys, put their heads together. But this is the first time we've really seen Bayer kind of stick their neck out and say, all right, look, uh, we're in an unfavorable unfavorable position. Three courts have ruled against us, and it's time to staunch the bleeding. So it does sound like, for a lot of our listeners who are tuned up on this issue, the anti-science side is winning uh we know there is is no to very little cancer risk with regard to glyphosate but jurors have said monsanto is responsible in these three different cases and Bayer is saying hey we got to get this behind us it is harmful to our share price i don't think they quite knew what they were stepping into when they bought monsanto last year for 63 billion dollars and uh, now they're just ready to push forward so we'll continue to keep an eye on this but um if Bayer does agree to settle these suits, it is almost certain that uh, anti-GMO, anti-glyphosate uh, uh, proponents will use this as precedent in uh, in all of their things going forward. And, you know, we could see a more hard line taken on Roundup uh, in the U.S. going forward. So I, it's definitely an issue worth watching. I don't want to overhype it. But Bayer is exploring all of their options, which I thought was interesting.
2: Yes, that's interesting. They have been, it seems like they have gotten th- tossed through the mud with all of these different lawsuits. It's absolutely crazy. But, I mean, if there is data there, then they, they, they might be regretting purchasing Monsanto right now, though.
0: Yeah, you know what? I was I was reading this article and I was thinking that exact same thing. I was going, man, the guy that put this or gal that put this deal together on the Monsanto side had better uh-huh. have gotten rich because they just said, hey. Look, uh, this, yeah, we got these cases out here. You know, yeah, we know glyphosate's safe. EPA says it's safe. Everybody else says it's safe. You're probably fine. Uh, write the check. Boom, sixty-three billion. And then, literally six months later, bam, bam, bam. All of these multi-million dollar, billion-dollar cases have come against him. I, uh, I hope that fella or or lady is on a yacht somewhere, and these uh, these Germans aren't hunting them down. Uh huh. What, what yeah, other news do you have for us, Madison? There's definitely so talking going on them a little bit
2: more. <laughs> there is a lot going on today. Um, I have one quick thing. You know, we kind of talked about the USDA holding back the climate change science research that they've been doing on, I believe, what was that, Monday or Tuesday? Yeah. Um, but now, Senate Democrats are calling for an inspector general investigation into the USDA. USDA's burying of these climate studies, um, as well as claims of retaliation against economists economists who produce reports that don't align with the Trump administration's priorities. Mm. Um, You know, yesterday we saw a report come out where they did file a bill that kind of contained language to... um, avoid the relocation of the ERS to the Kansas City area rather than staying, keeping them in, in D.C. And so this is kind of – Democrats are not liking the USDA right now. They're really trying to restrict them from doing a lot, especially after the, this climate change stuff came out the other day. Um, but they really want people to understand the climate-related research, and it should be promoted which I do think it should be because I know we claim to be, like, a leading country in science and research, so we need to be able to kind of report our findings and help people understand this research. Um, but, yes, they are still trying to kind of keep them, keep USDA from the ERS relocation. And really by doing this, doing – Calling for the inspector general to avoid the relocation and have more um, of those climate studies kind of unearthed.
0: Yeah, and you know I'm I'm ambivalent on the relocation. A big part of me is in favor of it because I just personally don't like the fetishization of D.C. I think we need to get more of those folks out in the heartland. We do have science. We have math. Mm-hmm. If you come to the middle of the country, we can still do research <laughs> out here. We're not all, you know, you know, bumpkin rubes and coveralls chewing on uh, shoots of wheat. We know basic things about science. We can, we can still do it here in Kansas City. But with regard <laughs> to the climate studies, I think you're exactly right. We've paid for them. Get them out there. The taxpayers are paying for this research. Mm -hmm. Whatever the findings are, if we bought it, gosh darn it, we should have it. We should be able to see it. So, you know, hopefully that will make an impact and and get those studies out there, maybe get them the press they deserved. And, you know, maybe we disagree with their findings. Okay. Well, let's go from there, but let's get the findings out if we've already Mm -hmm. spent the money to do it. 100% agree.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and that's what I don't really understand. If we've already spent all of this money and all these taxpayer dollars to do this, why aren't you letting the taxpayer see what's right? What is going on?
0: Issue the press release. Or what I you mean, spend, that's all it so. takes. Let's just get it out there. Exactly. Well, exactly. Yeah. While we're talking taxpayer dollars, I have one other quick news story coming out of the San Francisco Federal Reserve Bank. Their president, Mary Daly, said uh, this, she said actually late last week, but is just now making the rounds. She said, quote, it is too early from my perspective to know whether we should use the tool at all. And that tool being interest rate cuts and what magnitude of the tool we should apply. End quote. Basically, she is one of the interest rate hawks who is saying maybe we don't need to be cutting interest rates quite yet we need to see what happens with the economy as we go forward and her big thought is you look at san francisco you look at silicon valley you look at chicago you look at new york all of these urban centers are dealing with incredibly high housing prices and uh, so from their perspective a lower interest rate would drive housing prices even higher whereas in rural countries we're dealing with you know struggling economies uh, to a lot of extent and you know some folks really dealing with debt of an issue debt as an issue and cutting uh interest rates would definitely be a benefit so we're seeing this divide happen on the federal reserve and uh, we'll keep an eye on it going forward interest rates definitely matter to a lot of us in farm country which is uh for sure
2: yes definitely and maybe we can you know, encourage people from those larger cities to move out here, help the economies out um, in farm country and rural America. You know, we're, we have great uh, sites to see
0: out here we do but i'll tell you what madison i'm going to be real honest as a resident of rural america if i'm going to get some person from san francisco or new york or whatever to move next to my feed yard i do not want them complaining about smells or flies or sights or whatever if they're going to come out here
2: you know they got to embrace (laughs) the fact that hey i'm making a living
0: you know yeah
2: that's very true so maybe they should well, stay in their cities. Well, one last report that I have, Mike, <laughs> yeah, maybe. Um, but one last thing I have to, for today, I'm kind of focusing around African swine fever. Um, I know we saw that outbreak start almost a year ago now, I think. Um, but China is actually starting to provide incentives to encourage hog rearing and stabilizing pork supplies. Um Prices are set to jump almost 70% this year, since they have lost so many of their hog herd, but to my understanding, they are going to help those communities and help those different um, counties and provinces by giving them allowances to control the disease and keep producing those hogs, as well as helping those loans and subsidies be delivered to producers more quickly.
0: All right. Well, you know, from the U.S. soybean growers' perspective, we need hogs Mm -hmm. in China to eat our bean meal, so hopefully they'll get those little piggies back to snorting at feed bunks here in no time. Let's hope so. Well, I tell you what, we definitely saw some movement in the hog market today, Madison. What do you say? Should we take a look at where the other markets wrapped up?
2: Let's do it, Mike.
0: All right, folks, and our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Again, we're up, we're down. We've seen every direction happen this week. That creates opportunity, gives you the chance to manage that marketing risk. Give our friends at Zaner a call to use futures and options to manage that risk. You can reach them at 312-277-0050, or you can visit them on the web at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com, and tell them you heard it on Ag News Daily. In the corn market, they actually in both corn and beans. We've seen some weakness. Wheat bounced Back a little bit on the day. September corn was down three and three quarter cents at 445 and three quarters. December contract down three and a half, closed the day at 451 even. In soybeans, the August was down six cents at 893 and three quarters, with the November also dropping six to finish at 912 and a quarter. As I mentioned, Chicago wheat was the green spot. September up a quarter penny at 546 and three quarters. The December up a half, finished the day at 556 and three quarters. In the world of livestock, we've got mixed trade today. Cattle saw some weakness. Lean hogs, a little bit to the upside. August live cattle down 2.5 cents at 105.35. The October down 22.5 to close the day at 106.32.50. In feeder cattle, the August was down 2.5 cents at 135.80. With September down 25 cents, finished at 136.10. And in lean hogs, the August contract was up a dollar 70 on the day, closed at 77.17.50. The October up $2.10 closed at $71.60. And as we jump over to the world of dairy in class three milk today, we saw some mixed trade. The June contract was down a nickel. Of course, we're getting close to expiration, closed today at $16.27, with the July up a dime, finished at $17. Without further ado, let's dive into what the weather might mean here for the next several weeks and, in fact, for the rest of the growing season with our good, good friend, Ed Valley. Well, folks, weather continues to be a hot topic across the Corn Belt, across really the entire country, across the Canadian Plains, which are experiencing drought everywhere you look. Somebody is getting weather that they are probably not thrilled about. To help us get into what to expect going forward, we're joined by our old friend and noted weather expert, Mr. Ed Valley of Empire Weather. Ed, thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. So... Let's kick off the, the beat here. Let's look at the Corn Belt to get started. Let's talk Western Corn Belt. We'll work our way east. We've been dealing with a deluge of rain lately. There have been some severe thunderstorms that have popped up. Tell us what it is that is causing this irritating weather pattern right now in the Western Corn Belt.
1: Yeah, so it certainly is is very variable depending on where you're at, but the big thing that's going on now is, is we've been plagued by a very cool, wet spring and even the beginning of the summer here in June has been below normal. But we're starting to see the pattern change and it's, it's starting really right now with, you know, looking at the radar midday Thursday. Um, you know, there's a lot of activity in the northern belt and western belt. And that's because as that ridge of high pressure that's going to bring some heat moves northward, you get storms that form on the periphery of that ridge. And right now that happens to be focused across the, uh, the northern belt into the Dakotas. Uh, even down, you know, earlier this week, we saw some pretty severe weather down in Nebraska and Kansas. And I would expect that to continue here. Um, as we get deeper into the weekend and next week, this is going to be just a railroad track of moisture from the Canadian prairies right down into the uh, northern Ag Belt. So it's it's going to be uh, a challenging uh, few days a year ahead, uh, but it's certainly uh, kind of changing here as we move deeper into uh, the month of July.
0: So it's changing. Okay, that is a word that I think a lot of producers are excited to hear because any change is a good change from this constant, seemingly every other day, uh, rainstorm event. What is it changing to? Are we going to see sustained sunshine and hot weather to help make up some growing degree day deficiencies, Ed? Or is this just going to be uh, hotter with more
1: thunderstorms? Well, again, I think it depends on exactly where you're at. Because I do think if you're down in the Western Belt, if you're in uh, central, southern Nebraska, getting down into Kansas, I think we're going to have a pretty decent spell of dry weather coming up here as we get towards the turn of the month and into the first week of July, as that ridge kind of takes hold. Um, Now, I think as we get deeper into July, it's not something that is going to be sustainable in my mind. I think, and again, I think most producers would be happy to hear that as well, because obviously we need some moisture to get this crop moving along. But I think in the near term, the big thing that I'm seeing that a lot of producers should be happy about is the increase of growing degree days. I think we're going to see some some really nice high temperatures here getting into the upper 80s and even into the 90s here across the plains here to end the month of June and start July.
0: Awesome. All right. Well, that is going to be good news. Now I want to – well, actually, while we're talking Belt, while we're talking thunderstorms, this is entirely anecdotal, Ed. But, of course, I am an avid Twitter user. I love Twitter. It seems to me like I have seen a lot more reports of that great white combine, hail, crossing certainly Nebraska, parts of Western Iowa, South Dakota, Minnesota, you know, that northern ag belt you mentioned. Have there been more instances of hail this year, or is that just
1: something that I'm noticing? I think it's just something you're noticing. I think the big thing here, in a typical year, we, we get these thunderstorms really throughout the entire growing season. But with how wet and cool we were to start the year, we really didn't have a lot of hail to begin with. It was a lot of steady, heavy rain, but really no large, severe complexes. But I think now that we're starting to get deeper into the warm season, some of these storms are able to tap into that Gulf of Mexico moisture and some of that heating of the day. And that's what causes these storms to be a little bit more intense and then ultimately have that hail involved as well. So I think it's more of a, an observation, uh, more than any sort of trend. Okay. Uh, but certainly, hail has been a big issue out west.
0: Well, now, let's move to the east. As you mentioned, Ed, bring us up to speed. You were out. You did a little road trip this last week. You came across a lot of the Corn yeah. Belt. Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and what the eastern belt can experience here going forward.
1: Sure. So first of all, you know, I started my trip in Indianapolis and I moved west into blue. I went to Bloomington, Illinois, and then I was up in Ames, Iowa, and then I ended in uh, Minneapolis. And the big thing that I saw here across the eastern belt, a lot of variability, a lot of variability. Um, You know, we had some areas in, you know, especially when I was crossing through Illinois, uh, there were some fields that were doing decently well, considering with, you know, maybe shin high corn, but then there were other fields, maybe not quite adjacent to those fields, but within a few miles that weren't even planted. Uh, so there was a lot of variability in the eastern belt. But generally, from speaking to my customers in, in Indiana and Ohio, a lot of guys unfortunately didn't get everything in because of the just the nonstop rainfall we saw. Uh, but I think here moving forward, especially over the next five to seven days, I think, again, we're going to get that good heat out east as well. And then I think we're going to see a, a, a dramatic drop-off in the amount of rainfall here, especially along that I-70 corridor. Um, the further north you go, though, as the same thing in the western belt, we're still going to have those storms to deal with, especially northern Iowa, getting into Michigan, maybe northern Indiana and Ohio. Uh, but certainly compared to previous weeks, we're going to be in much better shape. All
0: right. Well, let's talk about that. Being in better shape, again, you mentioned that ridge. We're going to see some heat, some sunshine across the western belt. Are we going to see that same kind of thing manifest itself in the east, or or is it just going to take some time for this ridge to slowly work its way
1: over eastward? Yep. So I I think it's all going to come at once. I think we're already starting to see it here today with temperatures rising well into the 80s across the uh, Ohio Valley and even into portions of Iowa that didn't get hit by that thunderstorm complex this morning. Uh, and I think that's going to be a theme here moving forward, where we're just going to see a very hot and humid type atmosphere um, with pretty minimal storm chances uh, right through the first week of July here. Um, so I think it's it's a really, you know, and a lot of my customers out that way have been asking for heat for a month now, you know, and we're finally going to start seeing it here. And then, frankly, I think it's right through, Uh, The Fourth of July holiday. So I I think we're going to have a solid period here of five to seven days of temperatures well into the 80s or even a few 90s possible as well. All
0: right. I got to ask you a meteorological question. Again, I'm a liberal arts major. All of this math stuff is foreign to me, but I hear (laughs) mid 80s. I think humid temperatures, I think of all the moisture that is collected on the ground, all of this thing, the sun's going to get it cooking, that heat's going to, that humidity's going to rise into the atmosphere, it's going to create some kind of convection. To me, that sounds like a recipe for thunderstorms. Why is it we can Mm -hmm. have high temps, high humidity, and yet not see it devolve into some kind of a
1: storm complex? What, What am I missing here? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question, and it's a common question that I get a lot. And the reason for it is when you have these high-pressure ridges that are in place, simply put, there's not enough instability in the atmosphere for any of this, this activity to bubble up to the point where it produces a thunderstorm. So, you know, when you're on the periphery of that ridge, you don't have nearly as stable of an atmosphere. So when you're on the periphery of the ridge, when you don't have that stability You're able to get those thunderstorms to kind of break through that barrier and, and, you know, go up pretty quickly. That's why, you know, you might start a day sunny and then all of a sudden a switch flips and you see these big billowing clouds come up because the storm has kind of broken past what we call a a cap. And simply put, that's just a level in the atmosphere that you need to surpass in order for those storms to develop. So simply put, it's, it's very easy for storms to develop on the periphery, but when you're right underneath that ridge, it kind of keeps that cap in place and prevents the proverbial, you know, bomb from going off and having those storms erupt in one specific area. Fascinating. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. Ed,
0: all right, I need you to get your crystal ball out while we got you on the phone. Yep. We're talking a lot of stuff here. We're looking out first week of July. Really appreciate your insight. Now I want you to take Mm -hmm. a step back. We've got a very late crop planted this year. Whether in August, whether in September, whether in October are really going to matter this year to a lot of our Mm -hmm. grower listeners. What's your insight for us? What can you determine about the weather, the climate, whatever the heck you want to call it, that far
1: out in advance? (laughs) What do you think? Yeah, so so the big thing we look at uh, to kind of get a foundation of what's coming is what we call El Nino or La Nina, depending on what we're in. And right now, what we're kind of seeing is this El Nino that we were briefly in is starting to weaken a little bit. And that's kind of where we kind of start our, if you want to call it, recipe for forecast. And as you move forward, you kind of build off of that. You can use your past couple months as an example. So right now, we're obviously in a very stormy, cooler, kind of wet pattern. And if, if you've noticed that, I'm sure a lot of the listeners have, have noticed this in the past. Once you're in a growing season and you're in a pattern, it's very difficult to shake it completely. And that's simply just because it's a feedback mechanism. Like you said earlier with the, with the, uh, the amount of moisture in the ground and, you know, the soil moisture is very, very high right now. And if you're able to keep that soil moisture up, The feedback loop simply suggests that, you know, we're probably going to keep moisture around through most of the growing season. And with that, typically in that El Nino-type pattern, it's a cooler look across the southern tier of the United States, and then it's a warmer look the further north one travels. So when you look at it that way, to me, August right now doesn't really offer any true, you know, frost or freeze risks or anything like that. Uh, but certainly, I, I think with all that moisture in the ground, we're probably going to see some moderate temperatures, meaning no real extremes on one side or the other at, for a significant amount of time. So that's kind of what we're thinking for August. So we think there's going to be moderate temperatures with some of that moisture continuing just because it's kind of the pattern we're already in. And as we get deeper into the fall, a lot of our research does suggest later September we are going to have to just keep an eye out for some of these frost risks. And I know that's a big topic that everybody's kind of talking about right now, because like you said, it's a late crop. So that is kind of the only real red flag, so to speak, that I see is that with these types of patterns, we do typically see at least some risk for frost in the Northern belt later into September, maybe early October. Um, Once you start getting into October, Frosts are frankly pretty pretty common. So I think that September time frame is going to be crucial because like we just discussed, everything's so far behind. So that that's really the window that I'm monitoring the closest because of the impact it can have. Fantastic.
0: Ed, there's so many things changing on a day-to-day basis when it comes to weather. Uh, you have done a fantastic job. I know a lot of growers who have been working with you for quite a while and have been extremely pleased with the way you've helped them plan out, in particular this season, hay cuttings. Uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch yep. with you, how they can learn more about
1: you, and uh, and get detailed forecasts. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate that. Um, so we have, I'm a, we're all on Twitter, EmpireWX is our Twitter handle, My personal Twitter handle is edvalley, two L's and two E's, WX. That's my personal handle. And uh, you can see what we offer on empireweather.com, and I'd be happy to chat with you and see what we can do for you. Fantastic. Well, big
0: thanks to Ed Valley once again. We're going to get you back on here in a couple of weeks, see how this trend has manifested. Ed, and if you're wrong, we're going to hold your feet to the fire about it.
1: (laughs) Anytime. Absolutely. (laughs) Take care. Yep, you
0: too. Hey, fantastic, Ed! Thank you so much, buddy.
1: Yeah, absolutely, Mike. If you need anything, just
0: let me know. We good? as well, buddy. You're our go-to when it comes to weather, <laughs> you know. And honestly, your biggest I
1: appreciate it. your
0: biggest salesman out there is Ted Hammer.
1: No kidding, he absolutely. is the man. Man, like, every
0: time, every time, anything you know, you send him your updates, or you know, he shoots you a text. You reply. He puts it up on Twitter. He's calling.
1: Yep. He ah, oh, Ed says yep.
0: we're gonna get some sprinkles this afternoon. You know, we gotta do blah blah blah. It's just. It's it's incredible. I, I,
1: yeah, it's, 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 and that's the, that's the goal. You know, we, we like to work. We have a, you know, some other companies out there kind of like to pump their subscriptions to as many people as they can. We prefer to kind of manifest the relationships internally and, and, you know, it's been paying off. It's all good.
0: Good. Man, that's, that's what I love to hear. Glad you're, glad you're making it <laughs> yep, work. Sir. It's great to see an entrepreneur out there. Well, hey, we'll let you get back to work, Ed. We'll tweet. We'll tag you and it. Empire Weather on Twitter when this goes up this afternoon.
1: Perfect. Yes, awesome. sir. I appreciate it. You guys have a great rest of your day. You too. Thanks, brother. Yep. See ya. Yep.
2: Well, huge thank you to Ed there for talking to us about the weather and, you know, all the new things that are happening. You know, what's really causing this kind of weird weather situation we have going on this year? Yeah,
0: it is nuts. I mean, I've seen some folks on Twitter mm-hmm. going back and forth about, oh, this being the most difficult year. And I can tell you from the folks I have talked to hands-on or firsthand, I should say, It has been the most difficult planting season. We still have a Mm -hmm. lot of growing season left ahead of us, but this planting season has been phenomenally difficult for probably more people in the ag industry than we have seen in at least my lifetime. I won't go back any further than that. It has been a real challenge, and unfortunately, it seems like that challenge is going to persist Going through the rest of the season. Speaking of persistence, Madison, we have listeners who have persisted in listening to the podcast every single day. But for those who haven't, where could they catch up on past issues?
2: Well, Mike, so many listeners can just head over to our website. Find us at globalagnetwork.com. You can find us under Ag News Daily and find all of our past episodes that we have there, as well as many new episodes. Um, they can also find us on iTunes and Google Play as well as Spotify, if though they have those apps on their phones maybe. Um, but, you know, they can also connect with us on social media. They can find us at Ag News Daily, on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Um, and I think that's all. What else, Mike?
0: That's nothing, Madison. With that, should we let the people go?
2: <laughs> Let's let them go.